All right, well, if you would go ahead and make your way back to your seats. Well, good morning and welcome again to Redeeming Grace Church. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here and looking forward to continuing in our time of worship uh, as we open up God's word this morning and dive into our next section in Ecclesiastes. And so I'm going to invite Kevin uh, to come and read our sermon text this morning out of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapters, uh, chapter 5, verses 10 through 20. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy in his heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O rock of ages, we come before you today, and God asks that you would help us to hide ourselves in you. With all that's going on in our world, with all that's going on in our individual lives, you alone are our rock. You alone are the anchor of our soul. And so God, we pray that you would help us by the work of your spirit today to hear from you through your word. God, we pray that you would convict and correct where we might need that. God, we pray that you would encourage and guide us where we need that. Help us to be captivated and in awe of you. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. In 2021, the movie Encanto came out. And it became a big hit with its creative story and fun music. 
But what was somewhat surprising is that a few months after its film debut, the soundtrack soared to the top of charts and remained there for quite a while, which is not typical for Disney film soundtracks. And the single leading the way, we don't talk about Bruno. Right? It's a catchy song about a key character in the movie and how the family has decided that it'd be better for them not to speak about him than to wade into what happened many years before. Now, maybe you don't have a Bruno in your family that you don't talk about, or maybe you do, but we all have something in our lives that we tend to avoid bringing up. We've probably all heard the quip before that if you're at a party or hanging out in a social setting, there are two things you don't talk about, religion and politics. But I think there's a third category that we tend to avoid as well, and that's talking about money. Now, why is that? Well, I think there's a lot of different reasons. But one we, is that we tend to think of money as personal and private. It's oftentimes in the category of our health, right? It's not something we want to talk about or share with everyone or bring up in conversation. But also because money in our culture is connected to identity and personal worth. If we have a lot or have a little, we feel better about ourselves and we want others maybe to know that or maybe we don't want them to know that. And so it becomes a sensitive part of our lives. But perhaps the most significant is, is that money in all cultures can be tempting, a tempting master for us to serve. And if we're honest, we aren't really sure we want anyone telling us anything about that. Well, today we're continuing on in our sermon series called Under the Sun. We're walking through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we've seen so far that this book of the Bible functions a lot more like a journal or a travel log than a letter or a story. The author is looking for and testing possible sources of satisfaction in this life, life under the sun. And along the way, he's breaking those down and showing us how again and again they don't ultimately satisfy Today, he doesn't talk about Bruno, but he dives right into the topic of talking about money. And what he tells us is, is that if we are looking for our joy, if we are looking for happiness, for satisfaction, for security in what's in our bank accounts, then it's never going to work. And that's true whether you have a whole lot or very little. In fact, he says, just like pleasure, just like wisdom, just like work, the love of and the pursuit of money is also vanity. It's vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But here's the thing. God has ordained that money is a normal part of our lives. Like We have to have resources in order to live, to have somewhere to reside and food to eat and bills to pay and to put gas in a car, some form of transportation, whatever that might be. It's, it's a part of our normal function of life. So at a very practical level, this is very practical. So what are we to do with that then? Should we just disavow money and wealth altogether? You and I live in one of the richest areas in our entire country, in one of the richest countries in the entire world. So how do we avoid chasing after money as a means of satisfaction? How do we avoid loving and pursuing the accumulation of wealth for our security? I mean, should we just all move away from here? Maybe all of us should quit our jobs or should we give everything we have away? Well, thankfully, the author, by the leading of the Spirit, speaks to this. 
And what we'll see in our text today is the gracious limits of money. The gracious limits of money. That yes, money cannot buy your happiness. But when God is in view, we can see our resources as his provision to be used and enjoyed for our good, the good of others, and for his glory. So let's jump into Ecclesiastes 5 and may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Now, before we can understand how we can have a a good and healthy relationship with money and towards money, which the author will begin to tease out in verses 18 through 20, we first need to understand money can't satisfy us. Money can't satisfy us. We see this in verses 10 through 17. Look at verse 10 with me again. The author writes, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. I mean, the author gets straight to the point. He doesn't beat around the bush. He gets straight to it with a matter-of-fact statement. If you love money or wealth, you will not be satisfied with it, period. Your income, no matter what it is, will not ultimately fulfill you. It's vanity, he says. It's vapor. It's temporary. But notice that he doesn't say has a lot of money or wealth, but loves money or wealth. See, this isn't about dollar amounts. This is about your affections. This is a matter of the heart, an issue of your heart. Your heart, biblically speaking, is where the motivational structure of your life resides. It's out of your heart that you, are, you have your will and your emotions. It's central to who you are as a person. It's the source of where worship flows from. And all of us are worshipers. Mark talked about that in our call to worship this morning. All of us are worshipers because God made us to be worshipers of him. But when sin entered into the world, when we rebelled against God, now we have conflicting affections. So we don't always worship God. We often are tempted to worship someone or something else. So when the author says love of money, we have to see that what he's talking about here is false worship. What he's talking about is idolatry. Idolatry. Now that sounds like a churchy kind of word. So what do I mean when I say idolatry? Well, the New City Catechism defines idolatry in this way. It says idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance, and security. When we look to those things, the created world instead of God for all of that, and that's exactly the core issue here. It's what makes the pursuit of and accumulation of money so seductive because it promises you all of those things. It says, if you just have more, then you'll have hope. If you just have more, then you'll be happy. If you just have more, then you'll be significant. If you just have more, then you'll be secure. But it gives you a false sense of control over your life. It gives you a false sense of independence, of self-sufficiency, where you don't actually have to rely on God for anything, as long as your bank account is sufficiently full. You don't have to have faith to follow him in the midst of the journey of this life as long as you have everything that you think you need. What the author wants to show us is that when we look for money to be all of those things, instead of God, our creator, our sustainer, we will not only not be satisfied, we'll actually be in a bad spot. 
Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Now that's true of anything in life. You can't have two different masters, two different allegiances, but what is he specifically talking about? He says you cannot serve God and money. There's no both and. That's what the author's getting at here. You can't worship God if you're worshiping money or loving money. Before we understand why that's the case, why money can't satisfy, it's important to recognize what he's talking about here, not just breeze past this. It's important for anyone to pay attention to this, but especially in this area. Six out of the 10 richest counties and cities in America are right here in the DC metro area. When it comes to our hearts being captivated by the less glorious allure of the riches of this world, Rather than the gloriousness of God, the D.C. metro area is a dangerous place to live. So how do you and I know if we are loving money or are heading that direction? How do we know if we're looking for it to be a functional God in our lives? Well, there's a few indicator lights that can point us in that direction, like on your dashboard in your car that might go off to indicate that something's amiss. One is that we might feel a kind of constant worry or restlessness about how much we have. Now, I'm not saying then that you shouldn't look at your bank account or or have a budget. But when you find yourself being very hyper-focused on it and preoccupied with it, that that's a, a focus that's what you think about the most. Another indicator light might be just an overall lack of contentment in your life in regard to your resources. You find yourself grumbling about that, finding yourself struggling to find faith and confidence and contentment in God because of what's going on in your finances. But I think one of the most significant ones, at least for me, is is that even if we're thankful for what we do have, we often find ourselves thinking more about what we don't have but wish we could if we just had a little bit more, a little bit more money. And attached to that is the idea that then I'd be happy. Now, I've struggled with all of these things, even recently. Maybe some of you have as well. So what do we do with that? We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. Because first, we have to ask the question, but why? Why won't money satisfy? Like, if we start to think logically about it, we could think, but, but it really would be helpful if I just had a little bit more. I, I actually think I would be a little bit happier if I just had a little bit more. Why can't it actually buy us happiness or joy? Well, the author gives us a few reasons in the next few verses. Look at verse 11 and 12. He says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. What he's saying here is that when money increases, so do challenges and expenses. More people come looking for some of what you have. And now there's a bigger, more complex lifestyle to maintain. What the author's doing here is he's agreeing with the late 90s hit single by the notorious B.I.G., Mo Money, Mo Problems. See, the 
the person who loves and chases after and acquires more money can't really actually enjoy any of it because it's so much work to manage and maintain, either on the expense side or you have to maintain and continue to acquire more. I think that's what he's getting at in verse 12. The simple laborer who works hard is able to sleep well at night, whether he has a lot or has a little, because he knows he's put in a good day's work. He knows he's satisfied in what he has. He's content. But the person who's rich and has a full stomach can't sleep, not because of indigestion, because he's eaten too much, but because of anxiety and the attention that has to be given to its wealth and its pursuit. It becomes overwhelming it can rob you of real rest and real peace and real joy. John D. Rockefeller, the great oil tycoon of the early 20th century, is said to have been and still hold the spot of the richest American ever. He's est- his estimated net worth at the time of his death, if we adjust that for inflation, which is probably even higher now, is somewhere around $375 billion. That's... Yes, that's insane. Like, I can't wrap my mind around that number or figure. I was trying to think of different ways to illustrate how big that is, but nothing really works. Someone once asked him, how much money is enough? Like, bro, you've got a lot. How much more do you need? And with tongue firmly inserted in cheek, he said, one more dollar than I have. One more dollar than I have. See, though Rockefeller was known as a very very philanthropic man, the sentiment he expressed in that tongue-in-cheek statement hits the nail on the head of the deep heart issue that so many people have. We always want more. And we think we need just a little bit more, and then, then finally, we'll be happy. But it's always an elusive pursuit, just out of reach, because we just need one more dollar See, money doesn't satisfy because of the additional challenges that it brings to life, but also because in the end, you can't take it with you. We see this in verses 13 and 14. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. See, what he first talks about here is he's thinking about the man who's hoarded his money, who's just kind of kept it all for himself and maybe put it into some kind of business investment, but it doesn't go well. We don't know exactly how he acquired his wealth. Maybe it was through sacrifice and hard work or some other means, but he was never able to enjoy it because he just wanted to hold on to it. And in the end, he actually ends up with nothing, not for himself or for his family. Money can be here today and gone tomorrow. We've seen that recently, maybe experienced it recently with the recent downturn of the market. This causes him to reflect on the fleeting and vaporous nature of both life and money. Look at verses 15 and 16. He says, speaking of this man, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? What he's saying here is similar to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we we cannot take anything out of the world. Or to put some imagery to it, there are no U-Hauls behind hearses. 
right? We, we can't take anything with us to the grave. We can't take anything with us into the next life. He says this is a grievous evil, not because he's mad about it. He's not mad that you can't take your cash with you. No, he's seeing this as being bad for the person who spends his or her life living as in acting like they can. See, when money is your aim, the problems start well before death, which is what he gets at in verse 17. Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. He's again talking about the person who loves money, talking about the person who's looking for it to be the source of happiness and hope, of security and satisfaction, who's made money and the accumulation of it an idol. But the result isn't any, getting any of those things, but it's actually the breakdown of the person. Darkness is an illustration for isolation. And he's in his isolation, he experiences not joy, not peace, not security, not satisfaction, not hope, but vexation and sickness and anger. We saw that word vexation when talking about work a few weeks ago. It means aggravated. He, he's constantly irritated and grumpy. He's like Scrooge in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. He might have all he could want in money, but that's all he has. He's all alone, lacks wisdom, lacks relationships, lacks God. Paul again reiterates the same idea in 1 Timothy 6. Verse 10, he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, this longing for money that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. They've abandoned God, they've rejected him, and now are not experiencing joy, but pangs, pain, hurt, difficulty. Again, this is about the heart. And at the end of the day, in the author's pursuit of satisfaction in this life, he's found that the pursuit of money doesn't leave someone satisfied, but spiritually bankrupt. One commentator writes this, if anything is worse than the addiction money brings, it's the emptiness it leaves. Man with eternity in his heart needs better nourishment than this. See, money can't satisfy. It can't make us happy because money is a fickle master and a poor God. It's deceiving. And it gives you lots of promises, but they're all empty promises. So we have to see this is a gift for us to realize this, especially in the place that we live, because in it we see the gracious limits of money. See, money in and of itself isn't a bad thing. It's not a moral issue, money in and of itself. It's needed. It's useful for our life in this world, but, but money isn't ultimate. It's limited. Instead, it can point us to the world who is, is actually ultimate and is unlimited, See, what the author wants us to see is that when God is in view, money can be used to enjoy life and bless others to the glory of God, which is where he goes in verses 18 through 20. He writes, behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. 
Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. You notice the word there at the beginning. He says, behold, look. He's changing the focus here. And what he changes the focus to is God. He mentions God four times in four verses. He wants us to see God as the giver. He wants us to see that, as James 1.17 says, that every good and every perfect gift, including your money and your resources, is from above. Coming down from who? The Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Listen, your bank account may change. Your resources may rise or fall, but our gracious and generous God is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in him, you can find hope. In him, you can find peace and security and satisfaction and joy. But see, sometimes I think we can hear about money and we can say, okay, I see that it's a root of all kinds of evil and I don't want to find my happiness and satisfaction in that. And we reject the idea of a prosperity gospel that says God loves you more when he gives you more. That when you have more, that you must have more faith and a better relationship with him. That that's what God is really about. It's a genie in a bottle concept. We can think that and to correct that, we can start to go towards a poverty gospel. And we can believe that or start to believe that it's actually more holy or godly if we have little or nothing. But that's not what the author says. It's not what the rest of scripture says. So the correction for a prosperity gospel isn't a poverty gospel because both have self at the center, not God. Both of them say, this is something that I need to do, that I'm accomplishing. So the correction for a wrong view of money or a relationship to it is the true gospel, the gospel of grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, the apostle Paul writes this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. What's he talking about here? He's talking about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, who's existed for all eternity, who has everything at his disposal for all time and eternity. And outside of that, And he came to us. He entered into the world. He took on our humanity and all the brokenness of this world and the frailty and the limitations of it for what purpose? So that he could pay for your sin and your selfishness and you putting your hope in the things of this world instead of the creator of this world. He came to rescue you. See, we weren't looking for God. He came looking for you, not to hook you up with more stuff. Not to give you more, but to give you himself. See, when it says that he makes you rich out of his poverty, it's in his death that he's talking about. That he died an awful death on the cross to take on all of your sin and your shame. And what he gives you is the riches of his grace. That once you were lost and alone, but because of Christ, you can be made new. You can be united to God now and forever. He is your greatest treasure. He is your hope and your peace because he is the one who went to the cross to give his life for you, for all of your greed and your self-seeking. And just like we sang earlier, we don't come to him with hands full of, look what I've done for you. Look how much I have. How much does it cost? Can I pay the entrance fee? No, we come to him with empty hands. 
And we just get to cling to the cross. Satisfaction and joy can be found in Jesus alone. Contentment can be found in Jesus alone because he alone is worthy of your love, is worthy of our affections, is worthy of our worship, not the stuff that he gives to us. Money and its pursuit can make it hard for us to keep God in view in the ordinary parts of life. Because it's a part of the ordinary parts of life, it can be easy for that to start to become a functional God. And we can find ourselves becoming more dependent on bank accounts than our risen king. So instead of grasping for and looking for money to satisfy, let's look to God and hold tightly to Jesus. Jesus again tells us in Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the gracious limit of money. It and the things it can acquire will not last. As one pastor says, it's all the stuff of future garage sales. Right, it's all gonna break. Something new and shinier is gonna come out. But our king and his kingdom, it will last forever, forever and ever. And the cost to enter the kingdom of God has been paid in full by Jesus. So what are we to do with what we have in the here and now? Well, listen, if you find yourself this morning feeling conviction from the Holy Spirit that you've been putting your hope in your bank account or acquiring more money and things to have happiness, let me encourage you to begin by repenting, whether you're already a Christian or not. What I mean by repenting is acknowledging the fact that you've had a functional God that isn't the true God. Acknowledging and confessing that and turning away from it and turning instead to Jesus, the one who paid it all. And when you do that, it's then that you can live in light of the grace that he gives, including the gracious limits of money. See, the author gives us some good guidance. He gives us some good guidance in these verses about how we relate to money in this life when God is in view. And I hope it's encouraging and freeing for you. It's been that way for me this week. Notice he doesn't say, give it all away. In fact, right here in this text, he doesn't talk about being generous. We see that in other places of Scripture, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But he starts with enjoyment and ends with contentment. He's already established the fact that life, that this life is short in light of eternity. But he says that while we're here, we can use what we have to enjoy food and drink and life. Now, this isn't a call to hedonism. Now, this is a call to enjoy God's world by the means that God provides in a redeemed capacity in the way God guides by his word and his spirit. Let me say that again. This is a call to enjoy God's world by the means that God provides in a redeemed capacity in the way that God guides by his word and his spirit. It takes a redeemed mind. It takes a redeemed heart to be able to do this. To be able to think the way that God thinks, that he would be honoring and glorifying to him. To reframe the things that the world says will satisfy you and instead see them now with new eyes. is a gift from God that point us to him as the giver. It brings us back to a verse that we looked at two weeks ago, 1 Corinthians 10.31. 
So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. When God is in view, when you have him at the forefront, when you recognize that he's the giver of all these things, it means that you can spend money and enjoy a good meal or a good drink. You can take a trip or go see a movie or watch a sporting event or buy good seats to a concert to enjoy music. Do we realize that God didn't have to allow us to enjoy any of those things? Like we could have food that we have to eat that tastes like cardboard, but he gave us taste buds and he gave us good food to eat and good drink to enjoy and he gave us his creation to go out and participate in. He gave us those things to enjoy and he's given us the resources to be able to enjoy those things. See, when God is in view, you can give thanks for all of that, that he enables you to do that, whether you have a lot or have a little, because you realize that it's all a gift from him, all of it. I know you work hard. I know many of you have been successful in your workplaces, and we praise God for that. The reason that's possible, though, is because God's given you the ability to do that. And God's provided that opportunity for you. It's all from him. And ultimate joy is not found in those things. It's found in the one who gives them. That's what verse 20 is about. It's a verse of contentment. For he, this person, will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. This isn't a picture of a person who's numb to the reality of life because he's just filled it with more stuff. It's a person whose heart is captivated by grace and is content with God and his many blessings. You can enjoy these things but you could, because you aren't looking for them for contentment. But you're looking for contentment and finding it in God. That's what Paul reiterates again in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 17, he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. To enjoy I hope it's freeing for you to know that you can enjoy the things that God gives when you have him in, in view and he is your hope. And church, we have an opportunity as we find ourselves living in this D.C. metro area to live differently than our neighbors when it comes to money and resources. God's placed you in the neighborhood you live in, in the house that you live in, the apartment that you live in, in the job that you have right now. You get paid the same as somebody next to you. You get the same bonus as your coworker. The difference is, what are you going to do with that? Are you looking for that to find your hope, to find happiness? You can live differently amongst the people that God has placed you around. You can live in this world, but not of it. And I think one means of enjoyment and contentment and a way to help us guard against idolatry with money is doing good and blessing others through our generosity, living differently in that way. Paul, again, goes on to say, verses 18 and 19, they are to do good, talking about those who have riches. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Or as one author said, since we are headed for eternity, we should travel light. This is only possible when we're not looking for money to satisfy but instead see it as a means of grace to both enjoy life and bless others to the glory of God. In an article on money, Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York, said this, in order to become a gracious, generous person, don't sit down with a calculator, look to the cross. Remember how generous God has been to you. Remember the grace and mercy he's lavished on you and then go and do likewise. 
So instead of hoarding our stuff and building bigger barns and bank accounts, we can seek to do good and be generous with all that God has given us for his glory and the good of others. It's through your generosity that the gospel goes forward and the kingdom of God advances in and through this local church. And thank you to those of you that are faithfully and sacrificially giving to our church. We're able to support church planters like Seda and Emma and other church plants that we have that we're supporting in D.C. and, and in Virginia right now. To see missionaries sent to teach English to those who don't yet know it so they might learn a practical skill but also hear about our Savior. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for those of you that are using your homes and your goods to bless and serve others. You are indeed storing up treasure for yourself as a good foundation for the future. And listen, if you aren't able to give right now to the advancement of the gospel, maybe because you're experiencing financial need yourself, that's okay. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. Come, let somebody at the church know we want to serve you and help you as a church. One way to help us not look to money to satisfy us, but instead to use it to enjoy life and bless others is actually to bring it all before God. I mean, how often do you pray about your budget? How often do you ask for God's wisdom and help to know what you should or shouldn't do with your resources? Should you make that purchase or go on that trip? If you're struggling financially, are you asking for God's guidance? And I say that because sometimes I do that and sometimes I don't, but I need to be reminded that God cares about every detail of our lives. Maybe some of you need to step away from a job because the money that's in that job is too tempting for you. Maybe some of you need to look for a new job because you aren't making enough for your family. Whatever your financial situation is, the point is, are you talking with God about it? Are you bringing it before him? Ask him for wisdom. Ask him, what will be most glorifying to you with what you've given to me? And seek to be attentive to the spirit. But I also want to encourage you as you talk to God about this is to consider asking others for input as well. Something that's probably foreign to most of us is the idea of inviting others into our finances. Like I said at the beginning, it's one of those sensitive subjects that we tend to avoid discussing. But... But if we reframe who we are in Christ and what we have as being a means of grace from God to glorify him, letting others in to what you have or what you make is just another way to help you faithfully avoid the pitfalls of life under the sun. So find a few trusted people in community who you can bring your budget before. Ask for prayer when you get a raise or get a bonus. Ask for wisdom or what you should do with that. Invite others to ask you questions in order to help you glorify God with what he's given to you. And if you need help with what that all looks like, there are people at this church that would love to come alongside of you to help you with those things. Listen, God has ordained that money is a part of life, but he's given it gracious limits. It cannot and will not ever satisfy you. Only God can do that. So look to him again and again and again and give thanks, knowing that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Amen. We're going to come and take communion together now. So if you don't yet have the elements for communion, let me invite you to go get those. They're in the tables in the back if you're on the bottom floor or along the railings if you're up in the balcony. Jesus gave us this meal to both remember 
what he did for us to rescue us from our sin, to rescue us from our selfishness, to rescue us from our idolatry and our false worship. Jesus went to the cross to die for our sin of putting less glorious things at the center of our lives instead of God. And so we eat the bread as a picture of his body given for us and we drink the cup, a picture of his blood shed for us so that we could be redeemed and restored and experience the riches of his grace. But he also gave us this meal to point forward to the day when he will come again and he will make all things new. When we'll be with him forever, not because of how much we have, but because he's given us himself. So before we eat and drink, I just want you to take a moment just to commune with the Lord, to reflect, to repent, to respond to the preaching of his word this morning. And if you're not yet a Christian, we're so grateful that God has brought you to be here today. Maybe you've been chasing after money and getting the next promotion or the next raise and you're finding, looking for that to find your hope and happiness in. But hear this morning that that's not gonna satisfy you. Only God can do that. And so if you haven't yet turned to him in faith, I invite you to do that now. Instead of eating and drinking, just take Jesus today. Just take a few moments now to commune with the Lord as the band plays and we'll come back and eat and drink together. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. So now let's take the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken for you and eat together, resting in the riches of our Savior. Now let's take the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for you and drink together rejoicing in the gloriousness of his grace. Let's pray. Oh, holy God, we thank you for your holy word, your gracious gospel. God, we thank you for reminding us that what the world says will satisfy us, including money, is not true, that you alone can do that. So God, we pray that you'd help us as we go out into this week to find our joy in you. And that by so doing, God, that you would help us to see money and resources, not as a source of happiness, but as a way to enjoy life and bless others for your glory. God, give us wisdom. Guide us by your spirit. Help us to honor you with what you've given to us. And may we keep our eyes fixed on our Savior. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.